Let's join our hearts together in prayer as we begin our little message tonight. Lord, we uh, have chosen this evening to put our preparations on pause and come to prepare our hearts for you. So help us just to have that capacity to comprehend the incredible meaning of this night when you, the everlasting Father of heaven, chose to come and visit us for a time. Because your visit has changed the world forever. And your visit will forever write the narrative of this world. So we remember the surprising timing of your visit, that when you chose to arrive, you came in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night, your light found us. In the thick of darkness, your light came to us. And you reach your hand out to us in the midst of our darkness and come looking for us in the night. As the prophet said, the people living in darkness have seen a great light and on those living in the valley of the shadow, the light has dawned. So we, we see your light advancing. We see you forcing the darkness into retreat and we can't wait for that great day when the darkness will have no place left to hide no matter how much the darkness howls and threatens and fights to snuff out the light in this world, the darkness has not and will not overcome it, you said. Light of the world, Jesus, we wait for your morning. We look for your morning light. We long to be clothed in the brightness of your glory. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us tonight. We raise our candles in a few moments and we lift our voices to you, almighty God, who is passionately committed to make all of this happen. You will not rest until our life is filled with the light of your presence. Amen. So good to see you here. We were virtually packed out at 1 p.m. So this is the, I don't know, this may be the first time ever I've preached at 3 p.m. It's kind of cool. It's getting darker, so it's more like a Christmas Eve service now, isn't it? But let me say that I'm so glad that this moment has arrived because all of those people who have been praying for snow for Christmas, now snow is going to stop, right? Christmas has come, their prayers are answered. So you can quit praying if you've been praying or singing. All I want for Christmas is snow. Well, good for you that you're here. You put those preparations on pause and you come to church to prepare your heart for Jesus. I'm praying that Jesus will meet with you here this evening and fill your heart full of his presence, and you will leave with your life uh, filled with hope. Christmas is for everyone who is praying for some beacon of light to shine in their life. Isaiah saw that beacon of light coming, and here's how he described it. He said, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. There will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. So if you're needing a beacon of light 
pick up Isaiah's binoculars and let's look at what he saw. It's incredible. It's like as if Isaiah said, look, I see the answer to your prayer. But wait, it might not be the answer that you've been expecting or even wanting. It's not a thing. The answer is not a circumstance. The answer is not a new luxury toy. He said, the answer, the solution is a person. The solution that you're needing is the presence of a person in your life. For he said, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the beacon of light that you've been praying for, the answer to your prayer that you've been asking God for, may just may be different than what you've expected. Isaiah did not see financial security as a solution, the promise of more money. He did not see a clean bill of health even as a solution, a, a cancer-free report. He did not see perfect justice as a solution, a world where integrity abounds and everyone is honest and fair. He did not see a life without flat tires and leaky pipes, without aches and pains. What Isaiah saw was different than that. What he saw, the answer he saw coming was God's presence coming to be with us, to comfort us with his counsel. He said he's wonderful counselor, to strengthen us with his might, mighty God, to stay up with us in the night and to never abandon us in the fight, the everlasting Father, and to give us peace in the storm. Prince of Peace is his name. All this means, and what Isaiah goes on to tell us, is that God is not impassive about our problems. If your heart is hesitant to accept or believe that what Isaiah saw coming was that God's presence would be here in this world to be with us in the midst of our storms and our crises, that he saw how hard it would be for us to anticipate and to believe that the presence of Jesus is what we actually are needing right now. And so listen to what he said. He said, Essentially, God is not finished yet with his promise to you. He's got something more to tell you. You don't have to give up. There's no need to despair because he said this. He said, the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. And that's the message for us to hold in our hearts this Christmas Eve, that God is not impassive about your problems. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. God is not aloof. He's not indifferent. He's not unsympathetic about you. And he's concerned about your heart-wrenching questions. Isaiah saw through those prophetic binoculars as he's looking ahead to the future, a portrait of Jesus coming to earth. He saw the presence of God coming to be with us. And I love how he framed this portrait of Jesus with like two bookends. On the one end, 
At the beginning, he sees Jesus coming to punch holes in the darkness. The people who walk in darkness see a great light coming. And then on the other end, he says that the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen because he's passionately committed to deliver on everything that he's promised. So Christmas is a time that invites us to come to the Lord with our desperate questions. The one thing that has stood out for me about the story of Christmas, I guess this year more than anything else, is that what has jumped out to me is all of those desperate questions that people ask at Christmas time in the Christmas story. It's just full of questions, the desperate questions, uh, heart-wrenching questions, hard questions. They were asking like, God, when will you come through? How long will it be until the light breaks through into the darkness? When will you send your Messiah in the line of David, the heroic deliverer that we've heard about for so long? Why do you wait so long to put sin under your feet? We're desperate, Lord, for peace to come to earth. When will it come? And humankind has been asking soul-wrenching questions ever since the time of Job. That's a long time ago. (laughs) They're as old as Job. Suffering after suffering had befallen Job. His life just kept taking this unexpected, painful turns. And he desperately asked, here's Job's question. He said, if only there was a mediator between us, someone who could bring God and us together. If only there was a mediator David asked the question similar to that. He said, who shall stand on the mountain of the Lord and who is capable of dwelling in his holy place? Another time David said, how long, O Lord, will you look on to the misery of this world and do nothing about it? Isaiah said, Lord, how long will this go on? Habakkuk, in desperation, asked, How long, O Lord, must I call to you for help? But you don't listen. Violence is everywhere, Habakkuk said. I cry, but you don't come to save. But the question that first caught my eye this Christmas season was Mary's question. Remember when the angel appeared to Mary and said that she was going to bring the Messiah to this world through her womb? Mary said, how can this be since I have no husband and I have had no relations with a man? And she said, how can this be? From our perspective, God, when he promises things, his promises seem outlandish, impossible, without even a scientific base to them sometimes. And so we ask the Lord, like Mary asked, Lord, how can this even be? How can you pull this off? How is this even possible? And Mary's question reminded me of Zechariah's question, the father of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, when an angel came to his wife Elizabeth to say that she was pregnant with John the Baptist. Zechariah said, how shall I even know that this will come to pass? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. So the point is is that Christmas comes to people who are full of questions, that it's okay to give our questions to God, to ask him questions. And I'm sure you have desperate questions that you're asking 
Maybe it's a how is this possible question. Maybe it's a what's next question or when will this ever end question or who is there to help me question or why am I even in this predicament question or where am I going to turn for help type of question. Christmas is full of questions, desperate questions, but the hope of Christmas, the joy of Christmas is the realization that God always cares enough to answer our questions and bring us a solution. And his answer is continually pointing to the promise that his presence will come and be with us. To me, that's um, profound. It's life-changing. It, the lights come on in my mind when I capture what that means. First of all, that it means that God is not reluctant to help. It's like Isaiah 65, 24 says, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. Do you hear how interested God is in you? Do you actually understand? I, I think most of us have no idea how interested God is in us. He's finding solutions for us before we even call on him, Isaiah said. He's not reluctant to listen to us. He's not inconvenienced by our problems or set off by our questions. So there's two important things that we must never do when questions come to our heart. One is we must not allow our questions to drive us away from God. And second, we must never believe the lie that God doesn't care, that he's apathetic and indifferent and impassive towards us. Because you can bring your questions to the Lord, and I want to encourage you to let your questions actually lead you to draw near to the Lord. Because here's the deal. The devil has designed suffering to drive us away from the Lord. And faith in the Lord says, no way, I'm not going to let the devil win on this one. I'm not going to give him my soul. I'm not going to allow the devil to take this opportunity to rob me from my relationship with the Lord. I'm going to make the devil hang on his own gallows. I'm going to receive suffering then as a gift that pulls me into the presence of God, which is the answer God's solution. And you can trust the Lord with your questions because he hears, he listens to your cry and he cares. It's what Isaiah meant when he said, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. What a wonderful God we have. So I see in this a pattern. And the pattern is that the presence of God is what gets us through life. Well, if that's true, then let's check back on those people that we've looked at here who have brought questions to the Lord and ask, did God answer them? Did God um, care for them like he promised he would? And if so, what's the pattern? Well, Remember Job's soul-wrenching question, if only there was a mediator between us and God? Well, he brought that question to the Lord, and guess what happened? The Lord poured faith into his heart, and Job then said, I know 
I'm certain about something. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth and after my skin has been destroyed. You see, that's not a good thing. (laughs) I mean, from our perspective, my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, here's the exciting thing. I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me to see the Lord. Job found out that God's presence in his life was the greatest thing, the goodest thing, (laughs) the bestest thing, the greatest joy, the greatest healing. Well, how did it turn out for David then when he brought his questions to God and he desperately cries out, Lord, how long, O God, will you look on and do nothing? O Lord, you know all about this. Do not stay silent. Do not abandon me now, O Lord. Wake up, rise to my defense, take up my case, my God and my Lord. Have you ever prayed that kind of prayer or brought that kind of question to the Lord? Well, in the midst of betrayal and injustice, David found a place of quiet peace in the presence of God. He said, great is the Lord who delights in blessing his servant with peace. Not more money, not even better health, not only justice, but peace. God can give us peace when the world is falling apart. Isaiah's question said, Lord, how long will this go on? And and God gave him an answer. God said, until from Israel's stump, there will grow a holy seed. The answer was the presence of Jesus is coming. The presence of Jesus is your answer. Remember Habakkuk's question, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save me. Well, he got an answer too. He saw God's presence to earth, coming to earth, and he said, oh, he said, his brightness was as bright as the light. Oh, and then there's Mary's question, of course, at Christmas. With her head swirling in shock and bewilderment, she said, how can this be since I have no husband? Listen close to the angel's answer to Mary. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God for nothing will be impossible with God. There it is again, the same answer to a different question. God's presence will overshadow her. That's Christmas. That's God's gift of Christmas. God's presence is Christmas. And our questions may be different, but the answer is always the same. It's the presence of God that will get you through this life for nothing will be impossible with God. So this is the pattern in Scripture where the people who walk in darkness, all kinds of darkness, different levels and degrees of darkness, are shown a great light. That's God's grace. He shows us a light in darkness. And in a land of gross darkness, a light always dawns. God always gives grace to people who call on him in times of great trial. And if we furnish the willingness, God will furnish the grace. Look at this consistent pattern promised in Scripture. In the prophets, 
Jeremiah says, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And Jesus in the gospel said the same thing. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Look what he gives us. He gives us rest for our souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then in the epistles, James, the brother of Jesus, says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Christmas brings hope in the most dark and desperate days of our life. And the darker the night, what is really cool is that the brighter the light shines, the darker it gets. Christmas is full of light, increasing light. I love the lights of Christmas. Christmas is full of light because God doesn't leave our desperate questions unanswered. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, he said. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make sure this happens. Maybe you remember the story that happened on August the 5th, 2010, where there was this collapse of a mine in uh, Chile where 33 workers, miners, were trapped underground, over 700 meters underground. For 17 dark, desperate days, they survived on just little tiny rations of lunch food that they had taken down and dirty water for that day. And finally... Finally, a four and a half inch hole was punched through the wall where cave workers above were, just like it describes the Lord, they were passionately committed to punch open a tiny shaft of light. And through that little four and a half shaft of light, the miners were then supplied food, um, water, communication, and hope. Obviously, they would need a bigger hole in order to escape, and that would take time. Think of the parallel where we're at in history. It's a little shaft of light, but it's going to take some time. But finally then, on October the 31st, after weeks of nonstop drilling, where someone was passionately passionately committed to making sure they got out of there, All 33 men finally tasted fresh air for the first time in over two months. Think of those first days when they, what they were like for their miners trapped underground. I'm sure they were asking some dark, heavy, discouraging, desperate questions. Is anyone coming to help? How long will this take place? Is it even possible? God sent us a reassuring word through Isaiah to everyone who is trapped in darkness caused by sin. Listen to what he said again in Isaiah 9. The time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. For a child is born to us, 
a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end and he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Hang in there, folks. I took this picture that's on the screen this past week on December 19th. It was two days before winter solstice. And I decided to give the picture a name, and I called it Punching Holes in the Darkness. Do you realize how many orbs of light are out there at night? <laughs> that's actually, that you don't even see that are there? Each little snowflake brings an illuminating orb of light that's announcing the good news on winter solstice that the darkness doesn't get to define reality. The light will overcome the darkness. The darkness will not have the last word to say. I just think there's a redemptive metaphor in that picture that showed up when I took it the other night. And it would be a mistake, by the way, to underestimate the cumulative power of little snowflakes, of what little snowflakes are capable of doing, and, and especially when we see them as little orbs of light. Don't despise small things, the prophet Zechariah said. The darkness has no defense against the light. Jesus' presence is the light. And remember how Habakkuk saw God's presence come to the earth and he exclaimed like this was the answer to all of Habakkuk's questions. And if you read Habakkuk's three chapters, they're all about questions that he brought to God. And this is what answered it for him. He saw the Lord and he said, his brightness was as the light. And the apostle Paul said that this is the mystery of godliness, that Christ came to be in us and he's the hope of glory. Meaning as we carry the presence of Jesus in the world, wherever we live and wherever we go and whatever we do, that we are punching holes in the darkness. Listen to what Isaiah said. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord has risen on you, and the glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. There's a contagious influence to the light overtaking the darkness. John said the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Victor Hugo said, even the darkest night will end and the sun will rise. So here's our purpose on earth. It's to punch holes in the darkness. There's no single day on our calendar that the darkness gets to say, that's my day. Amen? Not even Halloween is the devil's day. It belongs to the Lord. Every day belongs to the Lord. And we claim it for him and we punch holes into the darkness. There's a, a great old story that I want to close with that comes from that author, Scottish author, Robert Louis Stevenson, who um, grew up in Edinburgh, Scotland. And he wrote that um, wonderful book called Treasure Island. And he was a great man with words and 
He would often tell the story about his boyhood days growing up in Edinburgh that he he would love to sit at the window at nightfall and watch the lamp lighters lighting the lamps down the street in Edinburgh. And he said that he'd watch them and they'd bring a ladder and they'd lean the ladder up against the pole and they'd climb the ladder and, and they'd light the torch and they'd come down the ladder and move it to another pole and go down the street lighting the lamps every evening. And he just loved that. And one evening his father walked into the room and saw Robert with his nose pressed against the window pane and he said, son, what are you looking at out there? And Robert said, look, those men are going down the street Punching holes in the darkness. (laughs) Punching holes in the darkness. That's what I want to tell you this evening. That's what I want to leave you with. God is punching holes in the darkness one candle at a time. The darkness has no defense against his presence. It expels the night. His presence is the only way out of your darkness, your questions, His presence is the solution to everything that we face. That's Christmas. Jesus has come. Emmanuel, God is with us. Hallelujah.